Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us today because we're going to start a, a new study. And I'm always excited to start a new study. Matter of fact, I began thinking about this and, and doing some extra study and research on it several months ago and kind of waited until now to pull everything together. I hope it's going to be a, a very insightful uh, lesson plan and a study plan for us. But as we begin this study, I also am sure that it's going to take us more than, than two or three or four weeks. And so interwoven between the various lessons that we're going to be looking at on the mysteries of God, we're going to spend some time on current events. We're going to try to do some question and answer uh, sessions because some of you have really given us some excellent questions. We don't want to ignore those. I can't answer all of them personally, but we will try to answer some of those as we do future B-TIP programs. And of course, there's always special topics. So much is taking place. I, I really am amazed that even people who are unsaved know that we're living in the last days. They, they realize there's no way that the world is going to go back and reset. They can say reset, but there's no way the world's ever going to go back and reset to what it was, let's say, two years ago. And so we're living in a very incredible, exciting, unprecedented time. And that's really why I want to cover this subject of the mysteries of God. I'm sure that when you look at the screen, you say the mysteries of God, maybe several things come to your mind. Number one, mysteries, it almost seems like a, a haunting subject, but no, uh, relax. It's a biblical word, and that's why I want to use it in our study, the mysteries of God. And we'll find that there's a number of mysteries of God in the Bible, and the Bible is very particular and shows how important these are. And that's the point of our study. But as we look at these mysteries of God, there's a couple things that I think will really help us to use these in a very practical way, and certainly one that's prophetic. Well, let's begin our study by looking at what the Bible says. And I want us to, to look at a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I want to read it. It says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. So here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that actually we're stewards of it. Now, what in the world does the word steward mean? I, I think we're out of the practice of using that word, but it's interesting because you see a steward, he's a person who takes care of something or looks after something. There, there might be a gardener, and so he looks after the garden. Or there might be a, a, a doorman, and he looks after the safety of the house who goes in and comes out. So the job of them is to look after something, to study, to, to keep careful, uh, particular care that these valuable things, whether it's the garden or the household, or in our case, the mysteries of God, that we take special care to look after them. Now, let's talk also about the word mysteries, because when I've even suggested to people that we might be talking about the mysteries of God, well, some of them said, well, is that prophetic? Does it fit with B-tip? Oh my, wait till you see how it is prophetic. And others said, that sounds like something kind of haunting and scary. Well, here's what the mystery is. In Scripture, a mystery is a previously hidden truth and now divinely revealed. Now, you want to know something? I have people that even tell me that they've had God give them a mystery or a vision. No, that's not what we're going to study. The mysteries that we're going to look at, enumerated in Scripture, drawn out by God in Scripture, divinely inspired in Scripture, these are things that God had in His mind and plan all the way back from the beginning. I think even before the foundations of the world were established, God had these mysteries or these truths put away, tucked away. But you see, mankind wasn't ready for them. 
And so now, in the New Testament, in the new economy, the, the new covenant, he now divinely reveals them. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. I think maybe the, one of the ways to, to start this incredible study is to look at what it says in Romans, Romans chapter 16. And I have the verses here, but, but listen as I read it. Now to him that is a power to establish you. That, that's God, isn't it? He, he establishes us. He establishes us according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So you see, that's really that definition. There's a mystery. This previously unrevealed truth was kept secret ever since the world began. But look at this. But now is made manifest. It's now revealed. And how was it revealed? It was revealed by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. What a privilege. You see, this is the overall picture. There was a mystery, but now it's made manifest. It's revealed, and it's revealed through God's written holy word. And I think to begin our study by looking at how important it is, I'm not looking for mysteries that we invent ourselves. I'm looking for mysteries that God had his mind, truths that God had his mind, and now he's going to reveal them. And that's why these prophetic things are so important. I'm going to go just a step further. When we look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul, remember he went from Saul to Paul on the Damascus Road. Damascus Road. And, and in Acts 26, he says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of those things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. And so Paul was given the challenge that he would be delivering these truths or these mysteries of God to the Gentile. And you're going to see how important this connection is. It was going to bring about something that, that they couldn't even imagine in the Old Testament that God would, would bring to pass. And we're going to see how that he did so. He promised that the Apostle Paul would be very instrumental in these things. Now, as we look at the mysteries of God, or maybe once to call it the truths of God, these 11 mysteries, eight of them are revealed to the Apostle Paul, just like we looked at in Acts chapter 26 at his conversion when he tells the story of it. His real conversion, Acts 9, but Acts 26 is when the Apostle Paul tells it, remember, as he stands on trial for his life. And so eight of them are revealed to the Apostle Paul. One of them is revealed directly by Jesus Christ himself, and two are revealed to the Apostle John. And so those are the 11 truths or mysteries that we're going to be looking at. So a mystery in the New Testament is not something that can't be understood. Don't, don't think of it that way. But it's the plan... It's the purpose of God that has been known to God from the beginning, but, here's the, here's the contrast, but God withheld its meaning until it was time to reveal it to mankind. And he did it through Paul, John, Jesus Christ, and through the Bible, through God's holy word. These mysteries, I call them the 11 fundamental doctrines of the Bible. And when you see that, it's going to allow the New Testament to fit together like you've never seen it before. I think it's also going to allow you to understand the, the basic framework of what God has in mind for the future of this world and for the future of the church. That's why these things are so incredible. Truths being revealed by, by God. So when we come to these 11 mysteries, I just want to, to list them for you to, today. And we're only going to take a couple of them, but one of those is the Incarnation. The Bible actually says that this is a mystery of God, a truth of God. 
No one would have any idea how God was going to reveal it to man, but wow, did he do it in such an incredible way. We call it Christmas. And, and so that's one of the mysteries of God. There's another one. It's the divine indwelling. Listen, when you see this, you're going to understand why Nicodemus was confused. You're going to understand why, why sometimes the, the Jews cannot understand what, what God is doing in the church today. Or here's the third one. It's this, the union of the Jews and the Gentiles in the body of Christ. You see, that was a shock. Every Jew would have been shocked if he would have said, you know what, you're going to be a partner, you're going to be part of the body of Christ. Wow, this is the truth that God revealed. And then there's one, the seven stars among the seven candlesticks in Revelation chapter 1. Now, the reason I put it in red is because this one clearly is prophetic, and we're going to deal with it, and I think it will be an exciting lesson for us. Next, concerning the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13, the series of parables that Jesus gave. That he calls them the mysteries of God. And then we get into a whole stretch of those uh, that are related to Israel and the church coming. The blindness of Israel is described as a mystery of God. And then the rapture of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Well, that was a mystery. It was, it was never, it was so different than Israel. And, and so God will reveal that truth to us. The mystery of iniquity, it's called the Antichrist. You see, the Antichrist, the foregoing and the forementioning of the Antichrist was in the Old Testament, but never understood. And now he reveals that truth in the New Testament. Number 10, the mystery of Babylon the Great. Revelation chapter 17. Oh my goodness. This was spoken by John about 1900 years ago. And we're watching it come true. But no one could have ever dreamed that, let's say in Isaiah's day. But now we come and we say, wow, this is taking place today. We're watching the mystery of Babylon. And so he calls it the truth of that. The restoration of all things, sometimes called the mystery of God's will, described in Ephesians chapter 1. So as you look at that, you see 11 incredible doctrines. And really to understand them, to appreciate them, we have to take them one by one. So today in our lesson, I just want to take maybe up to three of them. We'll come back. As I said, we're going to do some current events, some questions and answers. But one by one, we want to talk about all 11 of these so that we can see how God's whole word and framework fit together. And listen, the reason I, I love this is because, you see, some people are saying, how in the world... Is, are we ever going to recover what's going on? Let me tell you that God has a plan. He's known of the plan since the beginning of time, and He's just now revealing His hand to us and how He plans to accomplish it. What a God we have. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to be alive today without God's plan in full effect. I, I wouldn't want to trust my, my future, my safety, my hereafter to politicians to any government form, but only to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at the first one. This one is the incarnation. Now, I want to begin by, by looking at the verse in, in Timothy, and it's such an important one to our study. I, I'd like to read it. We have it there on the screen, but, but listen as we read it, because I think you're going to see <clears throat> how these things are defined in, in the mind of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness. So, so he mentions that this is great is a mystery of God. This is not just a, a human thought. This is a God thought. And it says this, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, 
preached unto the nations, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Six incredible truths there. But it begins with this mystery of Godliness, which is God was manifest in the flesh. Wow. Think about how would God ever redeem mankind? When man fell, what would be the plan of God? Well, we go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And remember, God said this right after Adam and Eve sinned. God says that I will put enmity between thee, that's the Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. Notice it says her seed. It would be not the seed of a man, but the seed of a woman, her seed. He shall bruise thy head, and thou shall bruise his heel. We studied that in one of our recent lessons in John chapter 13, verse 18. He spoke of the fact that he fulfilled that. Even in, in Psalms, it mentioned these things. And so right away, God says, I've got a plan. It would be this mystery. I'm not going to reveal it now, but I've got a plan because I am going to redeem you. You sinned. You brought death. You brought a curse upon the earth. But I have a plan, and my plan will redeem fallen man. I'm so glad that God had a plan. Matter of fact, the Bible reveals to us in Galatians, He had a plan before the foundations of the world were ever established. He knew what He would do to redeem mankind. He knew that we would sin. Given our free will, He knew what would happen to us. Then you go just a, f a few verses later, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain and said, I've gotten a man from God. It was called the Jehovah man. You see, Eve understood what God had promised. <clears throat> At least she thought she did. Because in the very next chapter, when her child is born, she thinks that this man is going to be the Redeemer. Uh, he wasn't the Redeemer. He was a murderer. Yeah, he would murder his own brother. He would murder Abel. And so, you see, the plan of God on how he, would, how he would redeem mankind, well, it was an incredible mystery, and it would, it would require the incarnation of God. And then we go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and we, again, we see something that's, that's so unique, because here, one of the prophets, four or five hundred years before Christ uh, makes his appearance in Bethlehem, says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrath, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. This is the truth of God. This is the mystery of God. And so he said, yeah, it's going to require this incarnation. Now, think about the incarnation. Because what we find in, in the Gospel of Luke, again, I, I want to read these verses to you, because you can only imagine the shock that it would have been to Mary. Mary was a virgin. Mary was espoused to engaged to Joseph. She was a virgin. They were, they were holy in their relationship. But according to Luke chapter 1, verse 30, the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now, here's the situation. He shall be great. He shall be called the Son of the Highest. How would he be called the Son of the Highest? It would be the incarnation of God in the seed of God with a woman. This is an incredible plan. 
It's called the truth of God or the, the mystery of God. And let me tell you, no one could have ever thought it up. Only God could have thought it up. We can continue on this thought. John chapter 1. What, what an incredible story we have in, in John chapter 1 because here's, he speaks of this. He says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then we come to one of the most incredible, wonderful verses in all the Bible, John 1, 14. And again, I, I want to just take a minute to read that because you see, when, you, when we read these things, we understand they're from, from God Himself. It says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me tell you, the law wasn't full of grace. Now the law was full of truth, but it wasn't full of grace and truth. And so this word, this word that we, we quoted from John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. That's Jesus Christ. He's known as the word. And in John 1, 14, it says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so the mystery of God in the incarnation is that God would find a way to redeem mankind from our sin, and that would be to make Jesus Christ a God, the God, become flesh and dwell among us. Let me tell you, everyone shall be saying, Lord, thank you so much for such an incredible plan, such a mystery of God. The story continues on. <clears throat> In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, remember, old Simeon is there when they, when they bring Jesus into the temple. And I like what Simeon says. <clears throat> says this, He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of all, then Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Wow. He said, I've seen the mystery of God fulfilled. I've seen the truth of God's plan fulfilled. And he said, I, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to die. Let me tell you, we go back now to, to look at that verse in 1 Timothy, and we understand, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I'm so glad for that mystery of God, that truth of God that he's given to us in the New Testament. Let me tell you this. The incarnation brought about a whole new beginning. You see, the law, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, had nothing like God Himself in flesh to redeem us. The first mystery of God is a great one. Here's the second one that we want to spend just a little bit of time to today. We may come back and visit another time. But it talks about this. Even the mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations. See, that's, that's how it's introduced almost every time. But now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would have made known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's what that mystery was. That mystery was that Christ... Our Savior, when you accept Him, He dwells in you. I can understand why Nicodemus was confused. You see, Nicodemus, remember when he talked to Jesus in John chapter 3, he, he couldn't understand. He said, how can a man be born when he's old? Good question. Excellent question. Often I talk to my students, particularly those who have not been exposed to the gospel, I say, what does it mean to be born again? And some of these are basketball players. They're, they're 6'8", 6'9", 6'10". They're 250, 60 pounds. And I say, how, how can you be born again? Can you imagine telling your mother, you need to be born again? 
a mother would shriek and say, wow, wait a minute, I had enough difficulty when you were an 8-pounder, what am I going to do when you're a 240-pounder? Well, you see, this is often the problem. People who heard Jesus thought he was always talking physical, and Jesus was talking spiritual. So it comes to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a rooter of, of the Jews, a religious man. He knew the Old Testament. He, he knew the, the, the sacrifices. And he said, how can a man be born again? And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. What's interesting is the new birth that he's talking about there, it's interesting because the new birth, matter of fact, my nephew, Mark Lindstedt, who likes the original language, this new birth is actually a birth from above. You see, he wasn't talking. If, if you could cram one of these big boys back into the mother's womb, when he was born, he'd be born a sinner again. It wouldn't help him. He needs to be born from above. The new birth was, was not just a physical thing, it was a spiritual thing. And so the whole aspect of the divine indwelling is wrapped up in this. You see, the indwelling is the key to understanding what this new birth is. I like what Clarence Larkin says. I think if we get this in a couple statements, you're going to see how important this is. Clarence Larkin said this, We are just as much a part of Christ as the members of a body are part of the body. Isn't this amazing? That, that God would have it in such an incredible way? You see, <clears throat> let's, let's take it this way. The indwelling is different from the law. The old covenant, the law, was an external covenant. Everything was external to the, to the person. The new covenant is an internal covenant. You are part of the body of Christ. Isn't it amazing? Listen, here's what Jesus did. We're going to see what he says in Galatians 2.20, but think of it this way. Jesus, in terms of creation, he's over creation, but he was never a part of creation. He was not created. Over creation, but not a part of it. But when it comes to the church, guess what? He is the head of the church. He's over the church as the head, but he's part of it. You see the close connection that we have in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, with, with Jesus Christ. Not a part of the law, huh? but he's the head of the church. And so we become a partner with him. We are one body with him. Here's what Galatians says. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's the truth. That's the mystery of God, the indwelling of God in us. Wow. Let me tell you, this is such a contrast. I really think that this is one of the main questions that confuse people because they think, okay, I'm, I'm developing a relationship with God, but the truth is they're trying to be good on the outside. Remember the, the rich young ruler that came to Christ and Christ said, no, you can't come to Christ that way. It has to become a new birth, a birth from above. It has to do with the indwelling of God. And so these are important truths and they are fundamental to the New Testament. I really believe today that the confusion of the Jews is that they are still under the law. And guess what? I'm in Jesus Christ. And I think today in America there's great confusion. We think that we're gonna, we're gonna make God happy by being good, keeping some little part of the law. We, we can't keep the whole law. We try to just keep some part. We think, well, I'm gonna make God happy. No, it has to be Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in you, it's Christ as your savior that makes it so that God can accept you. That's the only way. He's our Redeemer. And so that's why this Galatians 2.20 is so important. But Christ liveth in me.
I accept the death of Christ as payment for my sin. Now Christ lives in me. What an incredible change takes place in the new covenant. Now, here's one of the mysteries of God. The seventh one that we mentioned is the rapture of the church. And I want to spend just a few minutes on that because, you see, there's a question. Because the Bible says, this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Here's one of the great mysteries that's going to be solved by these mysteries of God. Number one, how does Christ get his bride to go from the earth to heaven, especially when they don't all die? You see, the New Testament word for dying is we shall not all sleep. Those who are believers, that's how God would refer to them, says the believers don't sleep. Well, how can that happen? I think we understand it by looking in this fashion. <clears throat> for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, notice that, alive and remain, even the Apostle Paul thought he was going to be part of that because he said, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, that's the word to, to be snatched up, or really we call it rapture, together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This mystery has caused great confusion. Even today in the church age, there are some who don't believe that there will be a rapture snatching out of the church. But it's clearly taught by God in the scriptures. It was certainly taught by the Apostle Paul. It was certainly taught by the Apostle John in, in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. And so, how does this take place? Well, here's what he says. I'm going to snatch him out. And the power of that was so incredible, the thought of that was so incredible, that I think God has given us some great examples. Let's, Let's quickly take a look at some of these examples. And by the way, these are covered in one of our earlier lessons, number 18. If you go back on, on the BTIP website, you can find number 18 and you can have a more detailed explanation of them. But one great one is, is the man Enoch. And it talks about him in Genesis 5. It says that, that he walked with God and God took him. And, and he was raptured. There, there's no doubt. He took him. Why? I think because the judgment of the world was so rotten, or the, the, the world condition was so rotten, that, that God decided that he would just take him. And so Enoch is a great example of one taken, or raptured before the flood of the judgment. And Methuselah, it's interesting because his name means, when he dies, it shall come. And when you study Genesis in more detail, you find out that in the very year that Methuselah died, the flood came. And then there was Noah. What a picture of the Jewish remnant. And he was spared from the flood. So you really find in these three patriarchs, you find the story of how that some are taken before the rapture, never dying, or before the judgment in the rapture, never dying. There's Methuselah. He died prior to the judgment. And Noah, he goes through the judgment. And so these are great examples and pictures that God uses. Or there's another one of Elijah. And he went up in a whirlwind. He was taken straight from earth to heaven. He didn't pass through death. The story is found in 2 Kings. You can review it. Or this is one that almost everyone's aware of. Remember Jesus. He went out on the, on the Mount of Olives. He was talking to his disciples. And as he talked to them, he was received up into a cloud and he was taken up into heaven. And so there's three examples. Oh, we're not done. Paul, it says this in 2 Corinthians, that Paul said, I, I know a person in the flesh or out of the flesh. He said, I don't know that. But he said, here's what I know. He was caught up into the third heavens. I think Paul was talking about himself. 
And Paul's an example who went from earth to heaven without passing through the element of death. The Apostle John, remember our story in, in Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and said this, that John was invited, he said, come up here. And he said, the first voice that I heard was as a trumpet talking, and, and took him, and he saw into heaven, and he thought he had died, and no, he was very much alive. And he would come back and, and continue here on the earth after this. And so I think that's the fifth example of it. Then, in Revelation chapter 11, we have the story of the two witnesses. Now, we want to spend more time on this one later on in a different study, because this is really a conclusion, a fulfillment of a very interesting story in the book of Zechariah. And we're going to do a whole study of Zechariah in the future, if, if the Lord tarries. But he mentions two witnesses in the book of Zechariah, and we find out in Revelation 11 uh, more about these two witnesses. And here's what's incredible. Yeah, they are killed, then they're resurrected, and then alive, they're caught up from earth to heaven being alive. That's the sixth case of rapture. Now, there's something very unique about the number seven, uh, seven days of creation. I think there's seven millenniums from, from mankind on the earth. There's seven feasts of Jehovah, and I'm trying not to look very hard at that because, man, if we got started on that, we'll never finish today. And there's seven churches of Revelation, and seven seals, and seven trumpets, and seven spirits of the Lord. All these are important things. I want you to see how important the number seven is. Because to me, it's interesting that there are seven aspects of Revelation. There are seven examples of, of rapture. And here's what we find. The seventh one, the, the one that we completed, would be saved individuals at the end of the church age are taken from the earth and they're raptured into heaven. In other words, they go without going through death. So, here's what John says. The Apostle Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. That's the plan of God. You see, <clears throat> no one could figure out how is God going to get his bride to Jesus without them going through death? Because he promised that not all will die. Some will go directly from the earth into heaven. And so he reveals his truth. And this is an incredible mystery of God that he had in his mind all the way, but now he's revealed it. And so what I like about this is, listen, this whole passage, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. You know what? I think I'll be among those that will be raptured. I, I know what you're thinking. You're, you're so old, you, you, you probably only have a, a day or two left in your life. That may be, but you see, Jesus could come today. And so I, I think I might be one that gets to experience that catching out, that pulling out, that snatching out, and bypass death and go straight from earth to heaven without ever passing through, through the, the element of death. To meet the Lord, that's the important thing, to meet the Lord in the air. So should we ever be with the Lord. We're supposed to comfort one another with these words. I also like it because, you know what? There was one hope that every writer in the New Testament had, and it's still our hope, and that's the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so when I look at these mysteries of God, let me tell you that there are people today who are trying to cast a shadow on the fact that God has the power to rapture us from the earth to heaven. Oh yeah, they say, how, how is he going to turn off gravity for some and not for all? Well, let me tell you, one truth that he revealed was in, 
incarnation of Jesus Christ. How is God going to do that? He had a special way. Through the, the lineage of David, through a virgin, so that she would be she would conceive, and that was, was in her was conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. It was a truth of God, a mystery of God, a great truth that He revealed only when Jesus came. The indwelling. How come we don't have to keep the law? Because you see, Christ is now our Redeemer. And so He dwells within us, and God sees Him and not my sin. The indwelling of Jesus Christ. It explains the new birth, a birth from above. And the rapture. The rapture explains the plan of God. You see, the Bible says when the times are going to be really dark and really hard and confusing, perilous times, it says that in the midst of those perilous times, when Israel's in its proper place, when the nations that are enemies of Israel are in their proper place, when the world is going through such confusion about genders and about, about godliness and about whether something is, is moral or immoral, whether something is righteous or unrighteous, he says that Jesus Christ will come in the clouds and give a shout, and those who know him will be caught up to meet him in the air. You see, the mysteries of God, the doctrines of God, the truth of God, you want to know something? God had in his mind from the very beginning, but he chose to reveal them in the New Testament one by one. We're to be stewards of them. We're to be believers of them. And so I ask you this question, are you ready? You see, everything points, even the mysteries of God, point to the fact that we're living in the last days. It's exactly how God said it would be. And then he said, I will bring about my plan, my plan that no one could ever imagine. How they're going to take you physically from the earth and bring you to heaven, and you're going to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds on the way. In the twinkling of an eye, in a split second, we're going to be there. That's the plan of God. And with all that's taking place on the earth today, you want to know something? We're close to the time that Jesus Christ is coming for the church, for the bride. Are you ready? You see, God holds you accountable for all these signs. Can you imagine someone in Noah's day saying, you know, God, you didn't give me a chance. Noah spent 120 years building that boat. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He told his neighbors, he told people, the judgment of God is coming upon sin. Repent, get ready, come with me to the ark. And you want to know something? 120 years, all the preaching of, of Noah and his family, and these people didn't respond, they can never blame God. Let me tell you, my friend, you won't be able to blame God because God promised that he's coming and that his coming is sure. And he's going to come and he described the times and it's just like the time we're living in now. I, I implore you today, come to Christ. Would you before God say, God, I'm a sinner. I'm short of your holy standard. Your standard is, is perfection and I'm not perfect. I, I sin in my thoughts. I sin in my deeds. And admit to God you're a sinner. Number two, acknowledge that Jesus Christ came perfect in his birth. Perfect because he was God. God in flesh. He had no sin of his own. But when he died on the cross, he took all of my sins. He took all of your sins. He took all the sins of the whole world. And he died on the cross. He shed his blood. He was buried. He rose again because that was the plan of God. And next, accept. Personally, say, God, I take your son, Jesus Christ, as the payment for my sin. I take him as my substitute. You look at him and you judge my sin on him. And so now, God, I'm welcomed into heaven because I've received Christ as my Savior. My friend, today, the door of salvation is open for you. I pray 
that you will claim the hope that every writer of the New Testament had, and that was Jesus was coming soon, but you must be ready. My friend, don't wait until it's too late. Don't wait until the Antichrist comes and, and sets up his kingdom on the earth. The Bible speaks of this mystery of, of iniquity and how it will abound and how it will deceive people that are left behind after the rapture. Don't take a chance on that. Today, come to Jesus. Enjoy the mystery of God, the incarnation, the indwelling, and the rapture, the catching out of the church, because this is the plan of God for your salvation, and your salvation could be today, right now, if you'll receive Him. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.